inspire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to reveal the unexpected paths to where they are today. Today, my guest is Mig Mora, better known as Spotty Wi-Fi. I am so excited for this conversation, and it was it was amazing. We dove into everything. I had my mind blown when I saw photos from ApeFest because I know who Mig is. He used to perform here in Chicago with a band. We talked about all of all of his story in the band and everything, but it just blew my mind how uh, creators and like uh, driven people keep going, and we just inevitably crossed paths again. But yeah, Amara, did you? I, I heard that you uh, really enjoyed this one. Oh, <laughs> you, I could not hear you, but I can hear you now. It's okay. You can just read my lips. <laughs> but yeah, I loved it. It's so inspirational. So great. Just all the pivoting and everything. So it was phenomenal. I definitely got a lot out of it. Okay, cool. I'm glad you enjoyed <laughs> it. But without further ado, it's time for my conversation with Mig, aka Spotty Wi-Fi. This is sort of the the Mig and Spotty. Is it okay? Like calling you Mig, just referring you by sure. name? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's sort of like a mid slash spotty interview, I feel like, which leads me to the very first question is, are you spotty? You mid? Are you spotty? Or is spotty a character that you've created? Because I know like it sort of started as a create uh, a character, but I feel almost like there's there's some point where maybe you merged, maybe you still see it separate. I'm, I'm just curious on your thoughts there. Yeah, it's, it's really both, you know, like some, it, it kind of vacillates, like sometimes I'm much more stepping into a character versus sometimes I'm using this smallish platform that I'm building to deliver a message that's really, you know, more from the heart or more personal, you know, so it just kind of depends. And, and that, that happens with the music too. Like there's sometimes where I'm writing, where I'm literally writing to kind of advance the storyline of, of Spotty, you know, the character and the, or the characters around him. And then there's other times where it's like a kind of both of us we're, we're speaking in unison, you know? Yeah, definitely. And then, and Spotty isn't just you, it's you and Stefan Clark, correct? Correct. Stefan Clark, my best friend, longtime collaborator, and the, the he's our, he's the main music producer. Although we do we do collaborate with other producers, uh, but he's also my partner. You know, we we operate Spotty Wi-Fi as a as a brand as a business, and we're co-owners in that. Nice, yeah. And uh, real quick before I jump past it, but the so the Twitter account, there's always uh, Spotty's a little polarizing. Like Spotty really gets into things. Does, is that you coming through? Is that spotty more so? Like sort of how is that uh, balance right now? Um, right now, that's been a little bit more me speaking my mind because I definitely the last couple of weeks, I've been very vocal about a couple of things that I, I see happening in the NFT world that I had something to say about it. Um, but, you know, in terms of tone or voice or even just like, approach you know i take some licenses as spotty that sort of the character allows me to take you know whereas a lot of times i'll have something to say from my twitter account and i'll say it you know loudly as spotty like literally all caps and then i get in a conversation with somebody about it and they and they came into the conversation thinking I was going to be one way or thinking that they were going to totally disagree with me. And then when they really hear me out and they hear me like talk about something in not all caps, you know, <laughs> I'll say the exact same thing potentially. Uh, and, and all of a sudden it'll make a lot more sense to them, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Do you feel like having that little uh, distance is beneficial for you? Like just as, as Mig, as you, are you able to express things that maybe you wouldn't express otherwise or is it just uh completely one and the same now i think it just helps me express things in a different way you know um spotty the character you know he has um he cuts right to the point he's very direct sometimes he takes things to the extreme you know to make a point he'll illustrate something um in a really 
extreme or, or dramatic way as he sees it. And it, it, it might rub people the wrong way, but it, it kind of gives me license to, to push the conversation forward in sometimes a blunt way just to like get, get straight to the point. Mm-hmm. Was any of that part of the strategy behind starting it, starting Spotty? Not really. Well, I, I guess it's more like a symptom of the underlying of, of, a, of a root cause. Like Spotty, the character, one of the few things I knew about this character when I decided to, to name my CryptoPunk um, and, and give him a backstory and a personality, um, of course, it's going to be influenced by my personality. But Spotty's defining characteristic is he has spots on his face if you're just looking at the crypto punk right and the interesting thing about the spots on his face is that's what makes him rare there's 10,000 crypto punks but there's only 124 that have spots and when i bought the crypto punk in february of last year the spots were basically an undervalued trait they still are an undervalued trait actually like if you look at the price of a crypto punk overall, the most affordable one you could get versus one that has a trait as rare as the spots, then you'll quickly see that, oh, the spots are underpriced for how rare they are. And that that get, that gave Spotty the character that I developed a chip on his shoulder, because I feel like everyone can relate to that. Everybody has something about them, you know, maybe physically or personality wise or whatever, that the world would discount or the world would point and laugh at or not find valuable or attractive, but that's what makes us all individuals, you know, and Spotty embraces his spots. He embraces his flaws. And um, the, a part of me doing music with Spotty was to say, I'm going to take crypto punk that a lot of people might cast aside and I'm going to make it even more special than the other crypto punks, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And you've owned your IP. I mean, you have really like, you've set the bar for that, like the standard in how someone can take this investment, because this is a serious investment, even though you bought it now, what, a year and a half ago, a year and a half plus, um, how much was it at the time, sort of USD equivalent? It was a little over 40 grand, 27 yeah. Ethereum at that Wild. time. And that's still early, like early in the um, sort of the growth of punks and the value and everything, because now what would, do you know around what the floor is-ish? Uh, now it's a little over a hundred grand to get, you know, the the most affordable one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I know you were you were into crypto early and everything. I want to dive into all that. I like to rewind really far just to sort of uh, set the stage for how you became Spotty today, and sort of the the journey that is uniquely yours because I think that's so valuable just to see how everyone has a completely different story, but the more people that that you learn their story, the more you can realize, oh, like this little point, this little bullet, I can relate to that, or I'm here now, or I'm there, whatever it is. So before we dive in, I really want to, I'm really excited to talk about IP and like trademark versus copyright and all these things that are just confusing to people because you you have that unlock and you get it also from, from your law background. Everything that you've done, you have so much insight into it. But I just wanted to completely zoom backwards. And uh, Young Mig, Way before, so the bridge, I guess, was your first uh, first group, your first rap group. Before that, even, where did you see yourself going? What did you sort of uh, envision for yourself as a young uh, a young person? Man, uh, you know, I had like a when I was a kid, I had a, like a fireman phase. I had a lawyer phase, um, which I did end up going to law school and practicing for a short amount of time. Um, and then when I was like a when I was like in high school, I really wanted to be a filmmaker. That's what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to go to USC, University of Southern California, and I wanted to go to film school there. Um, I did get accepted as an undergrad to go to USC, which really doesn't matter. You know, like film school is a whole nother thing. Uh, but I, I didn't end up being able to go out there, you know, just because I grew up in the Midwest and it's far and it's expensive and whatnot. Uh, but yeah, that, that was like my early dream was to be a filmmaker. Music came later, like while I was in college and, and post-college. Interesting. And were you in, so is law school, do you start in law school or is that something you do after you do your undergrad? 
Uh, you, you do undergrad and I did undergrad and then went straight into law school. Okay. So what, what's that connective tissue then when you were an undergrad, how did you find music? How did you suddenly become this uh, performer? So my producer that you mentioned, Stefan Clark, you know, we met in high school and we actually started making music in high school. It just wasn't necessarily something I was really thinking of as like a career, you know, it was for fun. We did maybe a couple shows together, that sort of thing. Um, And it might've even been like right after high school that we did like a couple shows or, or like really recorded a couple songs but it was around that time and then i I fairly do much while i was in undergrad because i went to undergrad in the suburbs of chicago in wheaton which you'll know wheaton oh yeah um (laughs) and then he went to loyola which is in the city on the north side in rogers park but after wheaton after i graduated i went I, i finally moved to chicago so i moved to rogers park and that's when we lived a few blocks away from each other. And I think it was very quickly that it was like, yo, we should, we should be doing music like all the time since we're like neighbors now, you know, and recruited my friend from grade school, Hollywood, uh, who he still lived in Rockford at the time. And he came in one weekend and that's when the group was formed. Nice. And yeah, and that was the bridge. That was your sort of originals group to start, right? exactly yeah that was the bridge it was mostly like party music um but we had a good run you know i was like Stefan was always really great with the music hollywood had been rapping since i since we were kids um and and then i was just really good with this was the myspace era you know and like getting in people's dms finding opportunities to perform um showcases things like that we ended up opening for some big acts um, and just kind of like putting together our own little tours, you know, around the Midwest. And, um, you know, we, we made some waves in the, in the local scene. Um, but it just wasn't as I did with some other groups, but just wasn't really lucrative, but it was fun. And we learned a lot. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's so much talent. What year years was that about? That was like 2006 to, um 2008 or 9 something like that it's funny because like that's like i don't know that's prime time for me like age wise so i feel like there's so many artists that were in chicago are in chicago whatever who were were on a, in a similar spot as you and i loved seeing what they were able to build like chris cernell i think you know him i believe yeah 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 he had his band like um like i've had him on the show before and everything he's still producing music doing everything like stuby from lucky boys confusion like all these people there was this time period plain white tees tom like all these people in chicago doing things making moves but it's so hard to to hit that next step hit hit the next level and actually make it a full-time career or really run with it in a way that um is feasible long-term. So you found yourself then joining or did you join or start the cover band? So I started a couple projects. Um, I started working as an artist manager, you know, because Mm -hmm. I was having a lot of success managing the bridge. Um, and then started managing other groups, started forming groups and, and yes, formed a couple of cover bands, one of which I, performed in you know i started writing original music with as well mm-hmm. yeah and, and that's where i came that. across you first was as the mc of this band exactly so i was emceeing you know there was another singer and then a full band and we 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 really grinded man we 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 played a lot of shows you know that was where i would say i'd be i kind of cut my teeth as a performer i had done a lot of shows but it's just a different different types of crowds going from like pure hip-hop shows to more like it was almost like you know it was a rock band with an mc in, in a lot of ways you know so uh just different types of crowds different types of expectations in terms of what a crowd is is looking for from a performance you know to be honest a lot of rap shows are not good <laughs> you know so um so it, yeah that was that was like a formative experience and that was probably like 2000 that particular band was i would say 2008 or 2009 through 2011 Mm -hmm. yeah and just for context 
because I, I know you were doing a ton, about how many shows were you doing a week or weekend? Oh, man. There was a point during that run, like a, like in, in, in the like busiest stretch, we would do four or five shows a week, which sounds crazy now, you know, but because yeah. it's like it was all throughout the Midwest. It's, it's, it's like, you know, a lot of like local, you know, smaller towns, local, local bars. And then, you know, we play we play cities like Chicago or, or college towns. You know, we go down to Carbondale. We go over to um, Columbus. You know, we go up to um, Ann Arbor. Um, I think we might have gone to, you know, Iowa a couple of times. So we we were and, and we had a van, bro. It was like that was an experience. That was one of the funnest times, though, for real. That was that was super fun. Like when when I stepped away from music and took a hiatus of like eight or nine years, that was one of the things that I looked back on. It's like, okay, I got to live that life and like, no, you know, know what it's like to like be a touring musician, even though it was a grind and, and, um, and it wasn't super, it wasn't always glamorous, but you know, it was, it was a lot of fun. That grind, that cutting your teeth, that is so important. I feel like for any sort of endeavor, like entrepreneurial, because this is like your story is an entrepreneurial story. And that's why I wanted to dive into it. And doing that, doing so many shows and constantly promoting, constantly connecting with people because like there's so many layers, so many levels to it that it's not just music and done. It's not like, hey, we'll learn a few songs, write a couple, and then we're just like, we just go up and go. There's so many different layers to it. And I always really respected how you ran that band how you brought it all together and what you did to make it something something that was known because the the market is saturated there's so many bands so many cover bands and like sort of the party like just just so much that fit that uh scratch that itch i would say so being right. able to rise above and and step out of the pack is huge so i always i really respected that and one of the questions i sort of had is what is what are the um What's the, like the economics of running a band like that? Because like clearly you, everyone has to get paid. You have to be doing so many shows. How, how do you make ends meet? Because all the travel, all the gas, all the, the entire crew, there's so much to it. Well, that type of band can do really well. You know, okay. once, you kind of, once you kind of establish yourself, um, that band had a lot going for it, you know, because, well this will sound really superficial, but we were young, you know, so, so we, we were able to get started quick because we were, we all had, everybody in that band had something to prove and everybody in that band was down for whatever. It was like, okay, you want to, you want to, we have an opportunity to go out to, you know, somewhere way out in the middle of wherever. And, and it might lead to a recurring gig where we're going to get paid. Like, okay, let's do it. You know? So that first year, um, you know, we were like crazy, just, just all over the place. And, and, you know, we quickly made a name for ourselves. We, we had like, we, it was a diverse group, relatively diverse. And like, you know, we, we had some band members that were easy on the eyes. I'm not talking about myself, you know, but like, <laughs> we just brought up, we, we brought a party uh, and a vibe that was different than, you know, it, we just naturally demographically, I think stood out from other type of party bands, bar bands, cover bands. And then we started doing our own music, you know, recording our own music. Um, but financially speaking, that type of band can do really well. You know, you, you, you get a few bands or I'm sorry, you, if you get a few bars that really bring in crowds, especially, you know, like college towns or, you know, bars like the Cubby Bear, things like that, where they're going to, they're going to be able to fill a room with drunk people. Um, you know, those, those types of bars, they have a budget for this sort of thing versus it's a lot different than like, you know, you know, booking co coffee shop gigs as a singer songwriter, something like that, which to all due respect, like that's, that's a whole nother thing. Um, and then you start getting into the private events, you know, you play a few shows at the cubby bear and all of a sudden you get a few Cubs fans that are getting married. Oh, you know, that, that approach you after the show, like, Hey, how much to play our wedding? And that's where like, you can really do well, um, because, you know, private events, uh, that, that's, that's, that can be nice money for sure. Oh yeah. So with anything like that had its time, but then you moved on from the band, everything 
changed there in your life? And you started uh, City of Wind, which I really, I appreciated that. There was something again, like I would, I would stick a pin in certain people and I would reference you and what you were doing, reference uh, Chris Cernell and like how he started his own record label and these things at that time, because it was all people building brand. And I found, I've always found brand fascinating. It's like, it's what we do. But at the time I was just interested in it. Um, but you jumped over to City City of Wind, which was merch, and then recorded your own uh, your own album. Was I? I guess what I was curious about is where does this all fit in with law school? So the touring band, right. recording your own album, and moving on, like there there's such uh, disparate worlds. Um, did they overlap at all, or was it sort of a stark uh, a line in the sand? Moving on to the next piece. Yeah, they definitely overlapped. Um, I was I was in law. I moved to Chicago for law school, right? Um, so that began in 2006, fall of 2006, and so I was in the bridge, the rap group for the first like at least two years of law school. Um, maybe maybe it was actually you know what it was more like the I did two and a half years of law school and I was so confident in what we were doing with the bridge. No, I, I did one year of law school. Excuse me. I did one year of law school and I was so confident in what we were doing with the bridge that I didn't go back to law school immediately. Mm-hmm. I took time off. I picked up a day job. I was working at the old orchard mall in Skokie, Illinois at the Apple store, commuting from Rogers park, Chicago, which was terrible and never, never was a good idea. But anyway, so I took time off because of, because of the bridge, then when we kind of put the bridge on pause, I went back to school or I went or, or we put the bridge on pause shortly after I went back to school. That's when I started managing acts um, as well. And eventually the cover band started. The cover band started before I was done with law school. And by the time I was done, it was going well enough to where um, that was basically my my full-time job. And I would also do some law stuff on the side after I passed the bar to kind of supplement my income, like helping bands with contract or any type of creative with contracts, you know, trademarks, intellectual property, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it overlapped in a big way. Cause I finished law school end of 2010. And then I was in the, I was in the, the band uh, until 2011. And then after that is when I, I, I started City of Wind. I started working on solo music and, and did that for a short run. Yeah. How can you possibly do both of those things? How can you be in law school and be a, performing four or five times a week sometimes? Like that, is, that seems impossible. But I feel like it also sort of uh, speaks to your, your drive and dedication to doing things. Yeah. I mean, I was not a model law student, you know, I, I didn't uh, my, like, I didn't have uh, what, you know, I didn't get perfect attendance in any of my classes, I wouldn't say. Um, and I would pretty much just cram, you know, I would cram for exams when it was time to buckle down. Um, even if it meant like, Hey, I can't do shows for, you know, these, these two weeks out of the year, whatever I, I'm, I'm reminiscing. I don't know if that was exactly right, but I know there was definitely some times during finals where it was like, Hey, I can't do this show. Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I just kind of did it, did what I needed to do to get by in terms of law school, you know, took the bar past it, but you know, I could have been, a, I could have been a more dedicated student, uh, for sure, but it just wasn't something that I was really, once I kind of got there, it wasn't something I was super passionate about. I enjoyed it. Like intellectually, you meet a lot of interesting people. You have a lot of great conversations and you learn a lot. Um, but it wasn't something that I I could see myself pursuing as a career. And I knew that really after my first year, that's why I didn't go back immediately, you know? And eventually when I did go back, it was just sort of like, okay, you know, I already have this much debt from law school. Um, and you know, reality starts to set in as you're like, doing a 45 minute hour, whatever commute to go work your job at the Apple store and and try to make ends meet. It was like, maybe this was a lot easier when I was just like being irresponsible with student loans and borrowing way too much money. You know, that was basically <laughs> yeah. a lot of the thought process. I do love though that you just sort of brushed off. Oh yeah. So I passed the bar. Blah, blah. I mean, so many people struggle passing the bar. So it's just, it's also kind of amazing. Like you were able to, you were able to do all that. I mean, there's, there's something there for sure. I know, uh, 
I feel like you're more humble sort of along those lines, but um, that is a huge accomplishment in itself. But so from that point, then music went away. Like you did City of Wind, you did your album, uh, what was it, Music for the End of the World? And then you had this long gap. You said, what, eight, nine years? And what was sort of that trajectory? Because I know you sort of, you found your way into brand, into a brand agency and doing things. So what's um, what's that journey? Right. So 2011, the band breaks up. Um, I started working on this, this lifestyle and clothing brand. I put together an album, um, a couple of projects, a couple of music projects, very well received. Like I really actually had more men. I, I had more momentum in that year, like 2012 as a solo artist than arguably any, any of those other groups did in terms of, but not in terms of like of revenue, yeah. not in terms of like paid shows and things like that. But in terms of, I would say, making an, an impact on the, the culture in Chicago and getting critical acclaim or, or blog love, this was the beginning, you know, this was the, the transition from MySpace to SoundCloud and mm-hmm. the blog era at that time. And um, yeah, and I love that album, Music for the End of the World. Like, I played that so thanks. much. And yeah, anyway, continue. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm still, I'm still super proud of that album, you know, mm-hmm. and that, that was. That was part of the hiatus. You know, I didn't plan to take a long time off, but I started working a job in 2012. Um, and the job actually really helped. The, like the job was very supportive of my music. I worked at a creative agency, a media, digital media agency. They were very supportive. That helped me with my music in some ways. But once I got done with that project, um, I, like by 2013, I was sort of consumed in getting good at my, my day job. Um, I felt like I had said a lot on that solo album. And I think in some ways I felt a sense of closure on that whole chapter because I had, I had a chip on my shoulder from both the bridge, the rap group and the band not working out. And there were a lot of things that I accomplished with city of wind and with my solo album that it was just like a lot of things on that album. I needed to get off my chest and, and kind of show people like, you know, you shouldn't, you should you should I, you shouldn't uh, um, part of ways with me that sort of thing like mm-hmm. you know like a scoring lover like I'm I'm gonna show him I'm gonna show him what I can do um, and then honestly I think I ran out of gas a little bit by 2013 and and by 2013 I was already I had only been at this one job for like a year and a half and I took a I took a sales job which was like much higher earning potential but a lot more like travel and just a lot a lot less of your work being contained within the nine to five hours, you know? So all of a sudden it's like, you know, I have like a legit job and, and music wasn't like as much of a priority basically. Yeah, for sure. So then marketing and brand and all of these, all of these pieces, you then, I feel like you put in your hours, you put in your time to further that those skills you already had built up, you had built through the bands, but now you're in an agency, you're working with with major brands and coming up with these things. How did you find your way into crypto and Bitcoin and everything? So it was 2017 when I first bought crypto. Um, I was visiting my parents for the holidays and crypto had been going crazy the whole year, basically all 2017. Every few months, you'd hear about it. Every few months, it would make its way under the big news stations, you know, the uh, CNN or whatever, talking about how crypto is on another tear. And then, of course, they would talk just as much about it when it would crash. Well, I, over the holidays, like a lot of people, I saw that crypto was going up again. And I said, this is it. This is the last time that everybody's getting rich and I'm not getting in on any of it, you know? So at that point, you know, I, I put in a way more money than I was prepared to lose. And of course, you know, I didn't know anything about markets. I had no experience investing or anything like that. And I learned very quickly, like why, you, why they say buy low, sell high, you know, because of course, as soon as I put some money in, it crashed at like historic levels, you know, crazy historic crash. Most of that money that I put in was like vaporized instantly. But Thankfully, I had a friend who told me, you know, you don't lose any money until you sell. So I just never sold. 
I kept all of that crypto that I bought. And then after it crashed, unfortunately, I didn't have a lot of money left to put in to make any big purchases, but I was working and I would just keep like squirreling away little bits here and there, you know, the whole bear market, you know, um, all of 2018, all of 2019, I was buying, um, I, I started by buying smaller crypto coins. I, I bought my first Bitcoin. I bought my first two Bitcoin at about $3,500 each. And that was around the same time that ETH was at like $85. And I was buying ETH at that same time as well. Nice. So I just kept buying and that was my, but, but my intro was rough. I had very bad timing. So for anybody that bought in recently, you know, before this most recent crash, like I totally feel you and believe me, I made every mistake. I bought crypto with credit cards. This was when you could easily buy crypto with credit cards on Coinbase very easily. Um, so I feel the pain. I, I know how much that hurts, uh, but that was my experience. And thankfully I was in a position where I could rebound from it but it was brutal man it was oh, really yeah. brutal yeah and by the time you were buying the crypto punk everything had been back up right yeah yeah so by like like if if i remember correctly like late 2019 things start to rebound mm -hmm. and you start i start feeling good like okay great like i'm in the green finally you know like this is looking this is turning out okay you know um, probably had more money at that point than I ever had in my life. And then COVID hits in March of 2020 and everything's like, you know, again. And I remember I was walking on the street somewhere when I saw it, it was like a huge dip. I forget what they call the day. It's like, there's like a term for that particular day. And my, I just had that sinking feeling. But at this point, I was almost numb to it because I'd already been through something like that once. So I was just like, you know, I'm going to let it ride. Like, I'm not going to sell it now, you know, after it crashed. Um, and thankfully, you know, crypto rebounded in a big way that year. You know, um, crypto rebounded. I was able to that. That's when I got engaged was the fall of that year, despite losing my job. You know, I got furloughed from my job um, because of COVID budget cutbacks and things like that. Um, ended up losing that job, getting laid off and I was freelancing, but it was inconsistent. Um, but crypto became my, my life preserver in, in that whole year. Actually, that was the one thing that kind of gave me, you know, a foundation. And then January of 2021 is when I finally heard about NFTs. Um, so January, 2021, I have this crypto it's worth something. Finally, um, it's rebounded pretty well from COVID by that point. And I start collecting NBA top shot moments. I'm a sports fan. So that just made sense. Like digital sports highlights and collectibles, just like basketball cards, but for the new millennium or whatever. Um, and through that community, through meeting other collectors, that's when I heard about crypto punks. You know, I met a friend. He's from the Chicago area, actually. And he bought eight CryptoPunks way back in 2020 wow. for like hundreds of dollars each. Yeah. Incredible story. School teacher. Great guy. You know, totally changed his life. So I meet him last year. And on February 23rd, that's when I bought my CryptoPunk for 40, uh, sorry, about $40,000, 27 Ethereum. Wild. Yeah. And then every that, I mean, that set the stage for everything else. Like, so from that moment, when you picked who's now spotty, <laughs> 5528. <laughs> so yeah. once you, once you picked them, um, at that moment, did you look at it as an investment? Like this is a brand piece I'm going to run with, or was it, I want to, I want to own a piece of this because I think it's valuable sort of, uh, what did you envision for holding this CryptoPunk? So I had no inkling of an idea that I would do something musical with it. I was actually my, my friend who had eight crypto punks and another friend and I, we started a YouTube show. So we were interviewing NFT artists and collectors, and we had been doing this for a few weeks. And my friend who had the crypto punks, his name is Novo. He would use a digital, you know, Snapchat lens, just like I'm using now on the YouTube show. And I could see 
the value of his network and his relationships that he had formed within the, the community of CryptoPunk owners. Um, and so that was, and, and, and I also, I really just saw it more so as a portfolio thing, a way to diversify. Like all my money at that time was in crypto. Um, and I said, if I really believe in this technology and, I, and I'm seeing at the same time, Mark Cuban is on YouTube saying CryptoPunks are priceless. They're the rookie card of NFT. NFTs, uh, Chamath, the Apatal, who I, I might not say his name right, but the, one of the early Facebook founders, he's on CNBC saying NFTs are the future. He's buying NFTs. And so it just seemed like, okay, in the same way, I wouldn't have a crypto portfolio without at least some Bitcoin, you know, or, or nowadays some Bitcoin and some ETH. I just felt like if I really want to make a big play and diversify, this this seems like there's no sure bets, but this one out of all these NFTs, it seems like the safest bet, you know, at that time. It was later after I got a after I started to see the reaction firsthand of like having a crypto punk, putting it as my Twitter profile picture, getting followers, building an audience just by virtue of having this crypto punk and the power of that like built-in community, that's when I started thinking like a musician again, because you struggle so hard as a musician to figure out how to get people to listen to you and, and hear your music. And I was like, well, this is a totally vacant lane. Like yeah. nobody's, nobody's doing this at all. And that combined with like being inspired by groups like the, the gorillas or like artists like MF doom or anybody that's had an ultra ego, um, or an alt, you know, a different type of persona for their music, it all just kind of hit me. Like I'm gonna make my crypto punk out of all the ten thousand crypto punks. They're all historic, but mine is gonna be the one that is historic because it's the it's the first crypto punk rapper. Yeah, and that's the brilliance. Is if you, for whatever reason, decided to sell your punk, it not only has the value of being a crypto punk having the spots, the rarity, like wherever that is. Now you've created your entire, just this this entire value for this specific character that's above and beyond anything else that people will see just just from buying a CryptoPunk, which that's that's the thing that I think is easy to, maybe not easy to overlook, but can be overlooked because... What you're doing is extremely special, extremely unique, and it's something that that sets sets everything apart in a way that you don't see in other areas. Like before NFTs, I really would be I'd struggle to think of something like this, like this moment, what you've created, what this what this journey has been from that purchase until now. And yeah, I, so I wanted to dive into that too and just sort of talk about like what does it mean to have IP rights? Because I do think there's a um, a discussion there of like, is it good? Is it maybe not bad, but is it good? Is it indifferent? Because like you can, one, can build a brand around a different property. So build a brand around XYZ NFTs. Now, for the person, that could be like, oh, I have the cachet of that. But if XYZ NFTs becomes... Uh, MySpace, if it becomes like a thing that's just, that's old, like nobody wants that anymore, um, then that could hurt the brand you're building around that or vice versa. If the right. um, if the project is giving out full IP rights, full licensing, commercial licensing, everything, but then someone decides, okay, I'm going to use this in a way that that I deem appropriate, but the people who own the actual created the project, they're just like, ooh, we don't want to be associated with this um, I feel like there's like a full discussion there, and obviously it can be a long, yeah. uh, a long discussion. But I'm curious, sort of, like how you look at at IP, and sort of, I guess maybe just a brief run through of like what IP is from your perspective. So the way I looked at it with, and and still look at it with my CryptoPunk, is I'm building a brand that is catalyzed or accelerated by virtue of the fact that my brand is represented by a crypto punk, but my brand is really separable from the crypto punk. You know, the, the brand of spotty Wi-Fi, um, it can, it can manifest in a lot of different ways, you know? So 
when I show up at a performance, like a lot of times, yeah, I have video content where we show animations of Spotty the character on screens behind me and things like that. Um, but I have a lot of fans that they know they know me personally. You know, they 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 know when I'm in the room or that sort of thing. Um, and that brand is is in some ways it, it, like it's it's literally and legally separable from the crypto punk. In other ways, it's it's kind of like people will forever associate the two, you know? Um, but that's the way I look at it as a best practice is like, if, if I'm married to the crypto punk brand, then there is a certain level of lie of uh, risk there because I don't have complete control over the brand of the crypto punks or every individual crypto punk and crypto punk owner, you know? Um, out of all the NFTs out there, I feel the safest about the CryptoPunk brand because it's it has a certain historical significance and everything like that. Um, but uh, but ultimately, like that's sort of you, you you mentioned like the difference between trademark and copyright at one point. Mm-hmm. You know, the spotty Wi-Fi is the trademark, and that's really like that's what makes CryptoPunk fifty five twenty eight more valuable than it was before I, I owned it. Um, and at the end, it's a symbiotic relationship. The CryptoPunk brand makes, has, has made the spotty Wi-Fi brand more valuable. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess in terms of the way, uh, the way I think about intellectual property in general, you know, it's super important to me, you know, uh, as it's, it was my focus when I studied law at Loyola and, um, Last year, you know, when when I started on this journey at, with Spotty Wi-Fi, what I was doing, it was in a very nerdy corner of the internet. It was very controversial, you know, because it was unclear if I did have a copyright license to do what I was doing. I forgot about um, that. Yeah, because at that point, it hadn't yeah. been really set in stone yet. Yeah. So there was a there was a it was very ambiguous what the actual copyright license terms were from the original creators of the CryptoPunks and, and between them and the, the current owners of each individual CryptoPunk. And real quick, just to I, then just yeah. to then clarify that, the copyright is the CryptoPunk. It's CryptoPunks as like an organization or whatever owns that copyright. But then a trademark would be your spotty Wi-Fi, which is separate but together with the copyrighted art, right? Yes, copyright is is uh, references the the artwork. So in this case, the the CryptoPunk fifty five twenty eight that copyright used to be owned by an organization called Larva Labs. They founded the whole art project called the CryptoPunks. They they created this, and my position was and is that they offered us and and gave us a license anybody that owns a crypto punk uh, or owned one um, when larva labs owned the copyright of the crypto punks the owners of the individual crypto punks had a license to use the copyrighted material to use the artwork for a personal use or for a commercial purpose like i do by selling music or selling albums with the artwork on the cover of the album uh, but everybody didn't agree with me, and it was hard for me to prove my position because there was no terms and conditions page on the Larva Labs and the CryptoPunks website, which it would have helped my case if there was. Instead, I had to do like some sleuthing of like you know one of the founders sent this mess sent this message in a public forum on a Discord server in 2018 <laughs> and said that I you know said that anybody that owns a CryptoPunk is able to use their CryptoPunk uh, to sell merchandise up to hundred thousand dollars per year, which I exceeded. Um, but still, I, my my position was that I was totally clear, of course. Yeah. Um, more recently, their ownership uh, of the of the CryptoPunk intellectual property, they sold it. They sold it to a newer company called Yuga Labs, and Yuga Labs pretty clearly and definitively said, "Okay, the the terms of use are you can do whatever you want." I'm paraphrasing. You know, yeah. it's not legal <laughs> advice, but that's basically they 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 eliminated all the question marks and all the confusion, and so. 
And, and, but because of that confusion all last year and that uncertainty, that's one of the main reasons you don't see a lot of other crypto punks doing anything really with their crypto punks or the intellectual property. And it's one of the reasons that the bored apes became so popular and are now the most valuable NFTs because that was one of their big selling points from day one was we're going to, we're going to sell you these pictures of these apes and you'll be able to use those pictures for an interpretation or a derivative work, you know, a, a reinterpretation of those pictures for anything you want to do. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit of a game changer. And when I started, there were no board apes. There was nobody doing anything with an NFT profile picture, you know, the way that I was doing it really. So it's, it's just a crazy year and a half. And the fact that now I have the total green light is amazing. Cause believe it or not, there was a time a year ago where like, I would have conversations with brands, you know, potential partners, potential sponsors, and they loved what I was doing, but like they wouldn't touch a crypto punk at that time because it was unclear. They might get sued if Larva Labs didn't like what they were doing. Yeah. Um, and now that's that's a game that's totally different ballgame. What I really like is that you have you've separated. You're not just like I am a crypto punk brand. You're using the character within your own completely unique brand and i don't know if you know of others using this but i know sort of like with the board apes there's a sort of board i think it's board and hungry like a burger bar there's there's things that are a lot closer to the the brand of say board apes but i think the brilliance in what you're doing is that you're not really there's no confusion that you're from crypto punks it's the crypto punk is this and it's something I really think people could emulate and really, really look at differently because it's easy to be like, I have a board ape, but it almost is irrelevant which one because I want to use their like, like the cachet of board apes and start this business or brand or beer or whatever it is. Um, do you see anyone else? Like, do you know of anything else that has that sort of uh, that separation um because i feel like you're you're much more immersed in this space but i just i find it very fascinating well i would say you know there's a guy named g money uh g money is a another crypto punk i believe he bought his crypto punk in late 2020 and uh he's done a great job like he he's doing a lot um on the on the like high fashion end of things you know he's had part he had well high fashion and streetwear. You know, he ha- he's done a partnership with Adidas. Um, I was tangentially involved with that with one of my board apes, but he really, he really, there, there were eight board apes and his one crypto punk that partnered with Adidas. So he really held it down representing the crypto punks in that way. And he's done a lot of cool stuff. Um, I can't, I don't even want to n- try to name yeah, some sorry. of the high end fashion brands that he's worked with. Cause I'm afraid I'm going to misstate something, but you know, look up G money because for anybody listening, he's doing some really cool stuff. Also doing um, a lot of content. His social media game is great. He uses one of these lenses from the same creator that I use. Um, and then my, my guy, Novo, Crypto Novo 311. Um, you know, these guys were early influences with me, but I would say it is few and far between. On, on the Bored Ape side, you know, you, you have a lot of the bigger artists um, like Snoop Dogg, you know, Timbaland, Eminem. Um, I know I'm, there, there's a lot that I'm going to forget, but there's a lot of artists that are sort of give, assigning characters, basically, you know, doing what I've done with my CryptoPunk, doing it with their board ape. I mean, Snoop said himself that he was inspired by what I'm doing. And uh, you see it a lot more with the board apes. And I think that's just virtue of the, I, I think I had incredibly fortunate timing. You know, the timing of me purchasing my punk, being in a privileged position to be able to afford one. And then starting when I started, while a lot of people were were kind of, you know, too scared or too responsible, depending on how you look at it, <laughs> to do it when when it wasn't clear if I even had the right to or if I if I would get sued. Um, and so the board apes um avoid were able to avoid all those questions. So a lot of what you see is there. But like you said, um I think the crypto punk 
people that are the, the few that are doing things with their crypto punks, um, maybe they're less attached to the crypto punk brand than the board apes are. And I don't know if that's a strength or a weakness, you know, like the, so far the board apes are doing really well. So it, it would seem that it's really great. They've, they've, a lot of businesses have been able to use like some combination or like the, use the word board or use the word ape or, you know, things like that and kind of adapt their brand or, or, um, tailor it to the bigger brand of board ape yacht club. Um, that seems to be a winning strategy right now as well. Yeah. Yeah. I always wonder long-term, you know, like spotty Wi-Fi, like you said, is that can be forever. I love that you have so many different, uh, renders and art styles through the different things the animations and uh pixel art and everything through the music videos that it really it it starts here at every time you say 55 28 i just have a smile on my face just because it's like from being in the song and everything it's just funny but um it starts at this point and then you've built out from there right. with with someone who or actually no i want to go a different route do you think that any other assets right now any other ip can or should be pursued in the way that like punks or apes because there's so many it's it's infinite now the number of projects and there's there's big hitters but do you think building a brand connected to an nft in other verticals is a good idea um it, it can be you know I'll say it depends. I think it depends on your, where you're at with your craft or with your, your brand, whether it's a product or a service that you're, you're looking to offer and what your budget is. You know, I think that like for us, for, for an up and coming musician, for example, I've, I've, I've definitely given people advice of like, you don't need to buy a crypto punk. You know, you don't need to buy a board eight. You don't need to even buy an NFT. There are, there are sometimes communities that you can join for free. There are sometimes free NFTs. Um, I shout out the gutter cat gang. The gutter cat gang is a collection, a community that I'm a part of. And they have some NFTs that are like uh, $200, you know, where, where you can be a full fledged member of that community for a couple or a few hundred dollars. And that's a community that really uh, embraces musicians, um, you know, a lot of rap fans. So like I, I talked to some young rappers and mentioned like, hey, here's an idea. If you have a, if you have two or three hundred dollars, you could be in this really active community. These people are really active and they will support you and share your music online if you come in and you bring value and you contribute to the community, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, if now that's a lower barrier to entry thing, you know, making music um, that doesn't necessarily require a huge budget, you know, and a bunch of investment. If I was starting a restaurant or something like that, I don't know, you know, I like the gutter cat gang would, would still be a great collection. Actually, I, I'll go ahead and say that the gutter cat gang would still be a great collection to build a brick and mortar business out of. I believe that. Um, but ultimately, man, it's, it's, it's tough. It, there's just the gutter cat gang is on the short list. I'm talking about them so much right now. I don't, I don't even mean to talk about them, but there's not a lot of other collections though, after punks and apes that I would really, if I was building like something that is, if I was really thinking long-term, how do I make sure that this is going to be sustainable and everything? Um, it's a short list. A lot of these NFT collections, they're not going to be around in a few years, yeah. you know, so, we already see it. Yeah. So with gutter cats, what is it about that one? What makes it stand out in, in a sea of projects? Um, a few things, you know, and I'm biased. I own several of their NFTs. I'm friends with the founders and all that. But one thing I like about them, they, I don't, I don't know that they've accepted any venture capital. They're completely self, you know, bootstrapped and stuff. And it's just a super active community. You know, the the NFT community that I vibe with is mostly active on Twitter and Discord um, and at real life events. And they check all those boxes, you know, very active on Twitter. Um, So if you're a content creator, you'll have a lot of support on Twitter, which is great. And then they do really cool 
live events and they're always looking to collaborate from within, you know, collaborate with their holders. There's other collections that you might hear me um, complaining about on Twitter. I'm not going to name them right now, but it's like, you know, they, they, maybe they made $40 million off of the backs of their collectors and they're not calling anybody, you know, that's like a, a, an, uh, an everyday like supporter and being like, Hey, or they're, they're not looking like, Hey, how can we collaborate? You know, like, Oh, you do this, you know, Oh, you're, you, you are a restaurateur. How can we work together? How can we do that? I'm not naming anybody in specific, specific. <laughs> I'm just saying anecdotally, that's mm-hmm. not what gutter cat gang does. Gutter cat gang. They it's like gang, 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 love. You know, if you're in the gang, like let's work together. And th- that's what I really like. That's more valuable than having it, it depending on your goals and objectives that's way more valuable than having a twenty thousand dollar profile picture but you can't even get a hold of anybody that is a founder or works for the founders you know yeah for sure yeah sorry to go on that that tangent just always curious because i feel like you have great insight into all of this and you you have like your finger on the pulse of so much and you're just following your twitter account you are up to date on things from a and you take your perspective your unique perspective not just um we're all gonna make it like so many people for so long were saying like you're looking at things objectively and saying this is or isn't a problem and this is why we need to we should we should demand or expect more or um get more so I wanted to just quickly, because we're already uh, sort of at time, but I wanted to just touch on your project because I loved that um, the way you have a generative music collection. It's not, you're not just minting, like you've referred to as a gumball machine of sorts, where like you don't know exactly what you're going to get. You're not just minting like, I love, I'm spotty. Like, I mean, which I truly do. That song is just, it's so catchy. I don't know how you write these earworms when you do. It's just wild. But that's sort of... uh, I'm spotty. My name is kind of connection of introducing the character to the world in a way that's just fun and funny. Like it's just, it's brilliant. I love that. But then you're able to, uh, able to go more broad with everything else. Like all the other songs that you're doing, you from day one took the, the perspective, like how you're using your, your punk where the music is pretty wide open, right? For the owners of the tracks. Yeah. So when I, I put out the first spotty song in April after purchasing the crypto punk in February, and I kept putting out music over the summer last year, 2021 by August, I had an album. And so we, of course we were like, we got to make it an NFT, you know, but we didn't want to just do that for the sake of doing it. We wanted to innovate. So we took there's seven songs on the album and then we we created 24 additional remixes of the lead song i'm spotty so you have seven songs on the album plus 24 remixes those are the 31 flavors in the gumball machine so when you minted the nft you didn't know which mix or which song you were going to get no matter what whichever song you get you have a copyright license to use that song in your content. So if you're a podcaster, filmmaker, video game developer, advertiser, whatever kind of content for for personal use or commercial use, you can use the song. You have my permission if you own the corresponding NFT. You can also go on my Discord and I'll give you the stems to that version of the song. So you could have the files for each and every note, each and every instrument and and all the vocals and do remixes and do what you want with those remixes. That was pretty, all all of that was pretty innovative, like um, doing it in a gumball machine style drop, I believe. And I said very loudly for, you know, the whole time uh, that I believe I'm the, and nobody's ever challenged me on it. I believe I'm the first human artist to do that as an album. You know, there are like, algorithmically generative, um, you know, uh, music projects that have done similar types of things, uh, that, that predate me. But in terms of like an art, a a human recording artist doing that with their music, I believe I was the first, um, doing the copyright license, the way we did it, I believe we might've been the first to do that too, at least that I know of, because 
when you own the NFT, you can use the music, you can monetize the music. You might not even be a content creator and you can sub license it to a content creator. So McDonald's could pay you to use my song in their commercial. You have my permission to broker that deal, but I still own my masters and I still own my publishing. So I don't give up my rights to the song uh, and my rights to royalties. So if a McDonald's commercial airs and my song plays uh, in that commercial, then I collect a royalty off of that. So I, I, I believe that the way we set that up was innovative and it, it creates a mutual incentive where if you're one of my collectors, you want to see my music become popular and more in demand because you have a license that the value of that license will go up if the demand for the music goes up. And it, it of course, benefits me too, because I, I have royalties from the NFT sales on the secondary market, and I have traditional royalties from the music uh, if it's synced or placed in, in content that airs, things like that. Um, so those were a couple of the things that we did that I think were really innovative. And I appreciate you asking about it because it, it takes a minute to explain. And I think it was a big deal. We, we took a lot of pride in how we, how we explained it. You know, we did explainer videos. We had a very thorough website, which you can still check out um, as a, a portion of my current website, spottywifi.io. And we do those same thing. We've done those same things in subsequent drops as well. You know, I did a song with Bun B. We modified the copyright license a bit uh, because we had a, a guest a, a guest appearance by Bun B on that song. But um, a lot of the same mechanisms are there and, and I'm planning the same for my future drops. Uh, and we've also done like with that initial drop with that, that album NFT, we pressed 2000 vinyl records, one for each of the 2000 NFTs. So, you know, I said for months leading up to the drop that I'm selling an NFT and it comes with a vinyl record. When complex wrote about it after we sold out on the first day, they said that I sold a vinyl record that came with an NFT. And I was like, wow, that's a way smarter way to explain it. Cause it's way more like. <laughs> People can grasp that a lot more easily, um, but yeah, and and we've done concerts, live events where if you own the NFT, that's your ticket through the door. You know, partnering with a, a company called Token Proof that has an app for that sort of thing. Um, we've done merchandise that you can only buy on my Shopify store if you have uh, a specific NFT in in your your collection in your wallet. So basically just trying to like push the envelope, you know, in every way possible and explore how this new technology can kind of evolve the relationship between an artist and their, their listeners, their supporters. Yeah, definitely. And I just, I always have to ask sort of what is the longer term? It's down again. It's fine. I mean, it's, it'll be okay. Um, camera just went out again, but it's fine. Um, good. The what's your long-term plan sort of for sustained revenue? Because secondary royalties are are not a consistent thing. I know a lot of times that's sort of the dream, you know, but um and I know you've you've built all these systems and, and mechanisms like building a business, building a brand. So I'm always curious how you um how you're sustaining and how you plan to sustain. So right now we're in a very fortunate position because you know we did raise a good amount of revenue during the bull market. You know, the first album, uh, which we sold in August, that did about a quarter million dollars on the first day. You know, it sold uh, 60 Ethereum worth of NFTs in, in, in the primary sale, which at that time was almost $200,000. And then it did, it did, has done well on the secondary market. So there's royalties from that. Um, and then the collection with Bun B also did well. Right now, we're not looking at NFT sales coming up as our primary revenue source. So that's really a great, that's really the, one of the best things about the position we're in now, because we, we can keep things moving with very low overhead and we do pretty well uh, in terms of booking private events, you know, so I, I make a lot of connections and, and uh, build a lot of great relationships at different conferences um, and thankfully, usually those are revenue opportunities where somebody's, you know, hiring me, booking me, uh, to speak or an after party is booking me to perform or both, you know, and, and that's a blessing because we really don't have a very high overhead. Uh, my Stefan, my producer and me, we, we work, you know, 
have home studios. Um, so we're in a fortunate position and, and that's another point, you know, getting back to like the great timing that we had because we were able to establish ourselves during a bull market in a way that I think uh, is, is going to set us up to, to survive a bear market, come out stronger when, when uh, the next cycle comes basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love everything you're doing. I love how you're doing it, how it's so unique, but I don't want to take uh, too much of your time. Like, thank you so much for, for taking the time out of your day to, to chat, dive in your story and share all the insight. I could have a million more questions for you, but um, where should we send people to uh, check out your music, follow along? Uh, what's best for you? Oh, on all platforms, I'm at Spotty Wi-Fi. That's S-P-O-T-T-I-E Wi-Fi. Um, and you can check me out at my website, SpottyWiFi.io. I forgot about merch. That's another, you know, revenue stream. Um, we, we do have the Shopify store there, right? You know, the link is at the top of our um, website. So check that out. And um, bro, it's so great to catch up with you, man. I thank you for the opportunity and, and for helping me tell my story. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd be remiss if I didn't just say one thing. Could we get a yes, sir? Yes, sir. <laughs> Perfect. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks so much. I want to thank Meg for joining me on this episode. That was such a great conversation. I had so much fun. And I really hope you enjoyed it too. Again, to follow along with everything he's up to, he's Spotty Wi-Fi on all platforms. S-P-O-T-T-I-E-W-I-F-I and SpottyWiFi.io. But yeah, you enjoyed. You had a good time. I'm so glad we got a yes, sir. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked. I had to. It just puts the biggest smile on my face every time. And Same. like the way that he integrates, sort of like uh, Jason Derulo, the way that he integrates with um, his name in there, his 5528 and uh -huh. all of these things. <laughs> we should actually close out at the end of this playing a little clip from yes. I'm Spotty because that song is so it's catchy. so catchy. It's such an earworm. I didn't even bring up to him how much we love the dance hall remix of the latest song. But anyway. We love it. You <laughs> must check out Spotty Wi-Fi. You must check out his music. Everything you hear, how insightful he is um, and how uh, deliberate he does everything. So anyway, I think that's a, a good spot to wrap. But I'm so that's glad perfect. you enjoyed it as, as much as I did. Because I never know. Phenomenal. Like I'm like uh, deep into the conversation. So And it was interesting not seeing his face. Having a conversation with a crypto punk was very new for me. I was going to um, say, how'd you like it? <laughs> it was good. I just hope that I was it, I, in, I was in my head a little bit because I'm used to connecting eyes to eyes with people. And so it did, changes it a little bit. But yeah. Welcome to the future, man. I know. Hey, man. <laughs> but anyway, I think we'll wrap right there. So thanks again for uh, tuning into the show. And if you enjoyed it, just give us a thumbs up on YouTube or um, leave a comment or review wherever you subscribe. So I think with that, that'll be it. Thanks again for uh, watching, listening, and subscribing. And we will see you next time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man, look. They don't even know who I am yet, right? They gotta learn. They gotta learn. 5528. I'm spotted. Got lots of spots. Your girl wanna come play connect the dots. I'm spotted. I'm on the block. Sick with it. Looking like chicken pox. I'm spotted. Last name Pippin. Stock going up. And I ain't tripping. I'm spotted. I ain't bullshitting. I'm a crypto punk. You a crypto kid.